And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. It is always a pleasure to welcome back into our studios Nan Calvert. And uh, she joins us once a month to uh, offer up a, a program that concerns some matter related to the natural world, to the environment around us. And uh, she typically brings along one or two or three interesting guests uh, to join in the conversation. <laughs> we have a couple of guests with us in the studio this morning, uh, and we're going to be talking about a wonderful group called the Wild Ones. So first, Nan Calvert, we welcome you to the morning show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Good morning, everybody. Right. So uh, before we introduce our other two guests, uh, tell our listeners about your own connection to this organization called Wild Ones. Oh, my goodness. I've been associated with Wild Ones for a very long time now. <laughs> um, yes. So, uh, wow, boy, it's well over 20 years ago. Um, I had gone to uh, some sort of an event at Ware Nature Center, and their Wild Ones chapter was there, and the chapter president was sitting at the table. Um, his name was Teddy, and I said, gosh, I wish there was a chapter in like the Racine Kenosha area. Why don't you guys start one? And he said, why don't you start one? So <laughs> I went home, and uh, I contacted the national office, and they said, you know, interestingly enough, there is a woman who also lives in Caledonia who um, has inquired very recently about starting a Wild Ones chapter, and her name is Carla Freeman. So I got hold of Carla, and uh, she and I started the Root River Area chapter of Wild Ones many, many, many moons ago. Um, and so then uh, eventually I became president of the chapter, and um, and then finally found someone who would take over after <laughs> a really long time. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I've been associated with Wild Ones for a long time. Wow, and it's co-founder. Yes, co of this chapter. I was on the national board for a number of years. And, you know, it's just all part and parcel of my passion for native plants and native plant communities. Fantastic. So uh, uh, explain to our listeners who is joining us today in the studio to carry well, on this. these two lovely and excited women are <laughs> Regina Harders, who is sitting to my right for our uh, viewing audience. <laughs> um, and uh, she is the current president of the Root River Area Chapter of Wild Ones. And this other fine woman over here is Joanne Sustacek. She's been part of the Root River Area Chapter for a very long time as well. And she is coordinating the plant sales. So she's the plant sale coordinator uh, for how many years now, Joanne? A couple years, three years. I took over full time, I think, in 2019. Yeah. Uh, as the plant sale coordinator. Wonderful. Very good. Well, we are glad to have all of you here. We really, really are. So uh, maybe, Nan, to just stay with you just a, a, a bit a bit more, mm -hmm. uh, let's get rolling with uh, kind of a, a summation of the mission of Wild Ones and maybe in terms of its national scope or mm -hmm. as a national organization, what you know about that. So regardless of what state uh, your chapter has, happens to be in, uh, the mission is to um, advocate and educate on behalf of native plant communities. And, and that's done in a variety of different ways. So many, many chapters have plant sales. Obviously, there are monthly meetings. There are field trips. Uh, there are, you know, expert guests brought in to speak, uh, not only to chapter members, but it's often opened up to the general public in hopes of, A, getting more members, and, B, 
you know, spreading the word about why native plants are so important. Um, and, you know, there are different kinds of fundraisers on a national level, um, you know, working with other like-minded organizations to promote the survival of things like monarch butterflies. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just a really wonderful organization. And it, it, in my opinion, it's the best place to get your native plant education because the members are always so generous with their knowledge and experience in growing native plants and transforming their landscape. So I, you know, I wish everybody belonged to Wild Ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that more and more are. Mm -hmm. Let's meet our two guests a little more directly and personally. So uh, let's begin with uh, Regina Harders, who again is the current president of the Root River Area Chapter of Wild Ones. Uh, I'd be curious to know, uh, first of all, just where you are from originally. And I mean, if you are native, so to speak, to this area, and uh, and a little bit about your own interest uh, in this, that is your own interest in native plants, uh, can you trace that to anything in particular? Uh, yeah, actually, well, I'm uh, originally from Chicago. You can probably hear that in my accent. <laughs> <laughs> we won't hold it against you, though, Regina. <laughs> Um, and I was a data manager and uh, programmer analyst in public health for many, many years. Um, and just got tired of sitting behind the computer. And um, it's going to sound terribly macabre, but counting the sick and the dead and then not having anybody really do anything about it. Mm. Um, and I left, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, I did a lot of hiking in the Kettle Moraine and then was driving um, up the coast and saw North Beach Park and just decided I want to live there. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and so I found a little house and I, I moved up here. And I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a permaculture class here at Gateway. And um, I got a horticulture degree at Gateway, but the more I investigated plants, um, the more I was interested just in woodland and prairie. And um, then I started reading things like Alda Leopold and, you know, um, Kimmer and uh, Talamy, and you know, then I was I was hooked. That was <laughs> that was the end. There was, there was, yeah. So you are a started out as a city slicker, yes, and then uh, you know have 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 become a, a person who loves, in a sense, the country and uh, and more of kind of a rural setting. Yes, that's that's true. I mean, I I grew up in an area where there was a lot of forest preserve, so. We always did a lot of hiking as as kids and stuff, but but yeah, I like I like urban areas, and I and I like having all of my native plants in my urban area. Mm, there you, you go. Know, I think it's really important that we get rid of lawn. Right. We'll talk more about that. Uh, Joanne Sustacek, uh, tell us what got you initially interested in this, and also if this is the place where you maybe grew up or are from originally. Yes, yeah, so I'm originally from Mount Pleasant. Um, my, I'm, I was living on uh, the homestead of my great grand, my great grandpa Andrew ah. Anderson. Um, he owned, you know, a parcel in the area, and so um, 
the house that I lived in was actually a Sears Roebuck house that was <laughs> delivered from um, horse and rail or buggy or whatever. Wow. <laughs> and so we're kind of, you know, we're kind of proud of that, that that was part of our house. Um, and so I actually had tons of wild areas to run around as a kid. That's what I remember, um, hmm. going through the woods, um, just enjoying nature. I loved it. Um, pro- you know, probably got away from it when I was a teenager, but... Um, you know, just always really just was interested in nature. I know that. Um, and so, uh, you know, fast forward, um, my husband and I were building a house out in Union Grove. And I, I had p- talked to a coworker or something, and she had um, recommended, I think she was in la- into landscaping. She had recommended, you know, when you plant stuff in your yard, you should really plant like a diverse, you know, population of plants because, you know, if you – plant something that everyone else is planting from the nursery industry and like you know something comes through like a blight or whatever it's mm. going to wipe out everything and if you have a diverse you know landscape that's not going to happen to you you'll have some kind of protection so i remembered that and um so while we were building our house we had a whole you know clear uh yard we could do whatever we wanted and so i decided i wanted to fill it with things that would help wildlife and so I heard about wild ones, and I think I joined in April of 2002, which is not that long after you first formed the chapter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I wasn't, I have to admit, I wasn't very active as a member. I would pay my dues and, you know, get, hear about the emails and <laughs> the news and things. Um, and, you know, I finally started going to a few meetings, and I remember it was, was it Marriott Novak? Is that Mm-hmm. She gave, mm-hmm. No, yeah, she gave a talk on bird, you know, birdscaping, and I just was fascinated. I was like, mm. "Oh my gosh! Like, there's this whole world out here, you know." So you discovered there's more to this than you realized at the outset, and more to learn about. Yes, and I just like I, I was hooked, like, just like you said, Regina, and um, so I just I kept going to more meetings, and I eventually volunteered to help with the plant sale. I remember I was a cashier. And <laughs> and so um, yeah, so I um, I just I you know I was increasing my time spent with the wild ones basically, and um, then I I got something happened with Nan that she had she could not no longer be um, the president. A personal thing happened in her life, and so we had to scramble, and I ended up taking over as vice president of the chapter, hmm. and so. I don't really, I mean, vice president is just kind of, I don't. <laughs> I, you do a lot, Joanne. Well, I just, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was getting into, basically, is when I agreed to go. But, right. um, so, uh, yeah, so I just, I always was involved in the plant sale and just getting more and more um, involved. And in 2019, I took over and um, just, I really, really enjoy it. And now I, I'm a scientist. That's, I, um. I've been a scientist for over 30 years, and I just um, was recently let go from my job last month, and hmm. I'm, I feel it's amicable, and I'm going to use this time to um, do what I want to do and do what I love. Hmm. And Wild Ones is a very big part of that. And, I like that. Um, I don't know if I can mention, uh, last year we were able to successfully uh, migrate from Excel spreadsheets for our plant sale uh, ordering to an online store. Oh. And so I'm really proud of that. It's a dream I've had for years to be able to have people 
when they, um, you know, when they're thinking about buying a native plant, they can just go to this website and they can look at the picture and, you know, I'm hoping that they're going to get as hooked on native plants as I am, but, um, it's just, it, it's just really like a dream come true. So. Right. It puts it into the 21st century, which is important. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I feel like it is, so. For those of you just joining us, we're talking about the Root River Area chapter of the group Wild Ones, which is devoted to the importance of native plants. And uh, so Nan Calvert has invited to the program today uh, Regina Harders, who is president of the Root River Area chapter, and Joanne Sustachek, who is coordinating their upcoming uh, native plant sale. Nan, I think it'd be good if you could give us a little historical long view in terms of when did we begin to have this awareness of of a difference between native plants and invasive plants? And I suspect that uh, this was something that was not talked about very much, let's say, 100 years ago or 75 right. years ago or 50 years ago. Can we trace the emergence of this concern to anything in particular? Yes, we can. Uh, there was a, a wonderful woman named Lori Otto who was a true force of nature. And... Uh, she had a couple of epiphanies back in the 70s and realized that a lot of things could be improved through the use of native plants. Now, at that time, there, weren't, there really weren't any nurseries who were devoted to propagating, growing, and selling native plants. But because Lori was, excuse my language, but hell-bent for leather to get this mm. going, um, you know, it, it sort of all came together. It was a perfect storm. Mm. And so Wisconsin is extremely lucky comparatively because we have something called, it's a book called The Vegetation of Wisconsin, written by James Curtis a long time ago. And he cataloged uh, the plant communities that were here prior to Europeans uh, arriving on the shore and then changing everything. So draining wetlands, um, you know, plowing up things for farm fields, cutting down woods, and so on and so forth. So we have a very good snapshot of what the entirety of Wisconsin looked like prior to everything changing. And so, you, you, you know, using that to guide and inform what um, native plant nurseries uh, grow and sell uh, has really put us ahead of the game. Now, I would have to say that Illinois is ahead of us because of all their forest preserves. You know, when you drive around in Illinois, you see, you know, McHenry County Forest Preserve and, and so on and so, fo so forth. So unfortunately, um, Illinois is ahead of the game. <laughs> and uh, if Wisconsin could start doing that, that would be really great. So yes, so Laureato really was the point person for starting Wild Ones. She really got things going uh, way back in the 70s, and it has survived and thrived since then. Um, you know, it's, it's a national organization. Uh, and we have, I, I don't even know how many native plant propagating nurseries we have now. Uh, we have so many um, uh, landscape firms that are devoted to doing uh, native landscaping, big firms, small firms, and everything in between. So there are so many resources out there for people to tap into to get this going right. in, their own, in their own habitat. Uh, Joanne Harders, does Wild Ones uh, concern itself beyond native plants? Do you also concern yourself with the eradication of invasive plants? Because so often that's the issue, that there is too much of that and not enough of native plants. Uh, are you in the business of eradication or, or more just of lifting up 
the beauty of native plants and leaving that eradication piece to other groups? Um, we're definitely in the business of eradication, and I'm not entirely sure when it started, but um, our group has gone to Colonial Park every year. That, you know, the, it's usually the first Saturday. In Can you May. remind me where that is? Which one is Colonial Park? Um, so it's it comes in at High Street and um, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the other street. Okay, but go ahead. Yeah, so um, so we're we're committed to that, and a lot of we support Chewaukee Prairie. Um, uh, we give them a donation pretty much every year, and a lot of our members will go there and work on their work days, and that work is almost always um, invasive eradication. Right. Yeah. Typically, how are you doing that? I mean, what does that look like and feel like? Um, well, it depends on, on what the plant is. So, um, for instance, buckthorn, that's cutting it down and then um, uh, dabbing uh, glyphosate or whatever on it to, to kill the root system. Um, some things that can just be pulling, um, you know, garlic mustard is a good example of that. Um, and sometimes we pull out things that, that aren't necessarily invasive, but are, um, that are problem like wild grape, you know, that will get it to grow and, and tangle itself with everything mm. around, you know, so you pull it out and, and give things more space, more sun. More. Gotcha. So, so even once in a while, a plant that's not invasive in the strictest sense of the word might still be a problem plant that maybe needs to be cut back or limited yeah. if it's a little yeah. too prone to taking over. Right. And of course, the issue, I guess, is that invasives tend to really take over. Why is that? I mean, what is it about invasive plants that gives them that, in a sense, capacity? So <clears throat> so you have non-native plants, and then you have non-native invasive species. So everywhere you look, essentially, is a non-native plant driving around you're going to see lawn and non-native trees and shrubs and tulips soon and daffodils and those kinds of things. None of those are native. Um, the tulips and the daffodils don't necessarily cause any problems, although they are taking up space for things that are far more um, beautiful, in my opinion, and functional for other species. Because it's not just about the plants. It's also about the living things that depend on the plants. Right. Um, and then you have invasive species that are non-native. Uh, that and so what happens is when those plants were brought over from their motherland, wherever that happened to be, uh, they came over, but all their checks and balances were left there. Mm. So now they don't have anything to restrict them. So when you think in terms of buckthorn or garlic mustard or phragmites or any of those things, they can just grow with wild abandon because there's nothing necessarily eating them and there aren't any climate restrictions, and so they get a leg up. Because they don't <clears throat> taste as good? I mean, is that, that essentially it? Or? Sometimes, or, <laughs> yes, it's a matter of taste, really. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so when you think about buckthorn, for example, so it's European buckthorn, um, and we have non-native bird species. We have, 
um, starlings and uh, other things that were brought over that would have eaten those things. So they recognized that as a food source. When our native species eat that, if they do, which they generally don't because they don't recognize it as a food source, mm. um, it can cause a lot of gastric upset, actually. It's, it's the part of the name is cathartica. So it's, mm. you can get the idea of what it is. Yeah. So they're not hardwired to recognize it. So invasive species, they come up sooner and they stay green longer. And so they hog all the resources, if you will. So space and light and nutrients in the soil, water, and so on and so forth. And so our native species, they have all of their checks and balances. And now they have to contend with these other things that have an advantage just because they don't belong here. Mm. So I mean, it's tough. And so you, you have, that's, for example, you know, we have Chiwaki Prairie, which is a beautifully managed remnant prairie right on the lakefront. Um, but it has to be constantly managed because it's always being pressured by these invasive non-native species. So you have to go out and take care of it. If it didn't have those pressures, it could just live its life the way it's supposed to and evolve over time as all habitats do. Right. And of course, we can't, unfortunately, undo the right. initial introduction of these invasives into our environment. I mean, they're here. They came here at a time probably when near, essentially nobody understood exactly. the potential harm of what was right. being done. No one understood. And, you know, some of the plants that came over, they didn't last for whatever reason they didn't manage. Some of the plants that came over, um, we're so accustomed to seeing them, and they're not necessarily causing any difficulties. But then you have those species that are causing difficulties, and they have destroyed wetlands, woodlands, and prairie landscapes. Um, and so we have to keep fighting them like we do buckthorn and honeysuckle and garlic mustard and, and all of those kinds of things. Interesting. I appreciate, I don't, I'm not sure for all the conversations we've ever had, uh, I'm, I'm glad, Regina, you mentioned this because I I don't think I've ever stopped to think about the distinction between uh, invasive species and non-native species and native plants, and the <laughs> fact that there are there are non-native plants that are not the not quite the same enemy as an invasive non-native because the, just by the very terminology that suggests something that's right. almost right. predatory in a sense. It is and predatory it in is a sense, yeah. very much so. I, I'm sorry, but even even when they even when they're brought over, they come. They might not. You might not see that they're. They have the potential to be invasive, right? And that may take some time. And so I was even reading an article recently about um, Jap Japanese pachysandra. So you know, it's you find it, and people will plant it in shady areas all over. I mean, in Chicago, it's in almost every yard underneath yeah. the the tree. And it's it's now we know invasive, you know. So we're finding it in woodland areas, and it's just again, you know, it's it's not just. I mean, they're shading out or taking over the the native areas, um, so you lose your biodiversity, but you also lose your food source for all of your insects which is the food source then for all of your birds, right? So you're, I mean, it's, it's this really terrible chain reaction that we need to stop. And I think the good news is um, there's more and more interest in native plants. Um, 
and the more we it's something we can do right you know you can you can get really down about climate change and everything else but you can plant trees and right can plant you know shrubs and and other native plants and really make a difference right and you can make a difference I mean, starting with your own yard, yes. but you can make a difference in that beautiful park down the way and in other ways in other parts of your community and town. Absolutely. For those of you just joining us, we're talking about the Root River Area Chapter of Wild Ones. Nan Calvert has invited here Regina Harders, who is the president of Wild Ones, and Joanne Sustachek, who coordinates their upcoming native plant sale. And I guess that's part of it. It's the eradication piece that we've been talking about, and then it's about... Uh, getting more and more people to plant more and more native plants. So you have this plant sale, which is going to be a a wonderful opportunity for people to seek out native plants. So Joanne Sustachek, first of all, where do the native plants come from that you sell? Well, thankfully, they come from wonderful nurseries (laughs) that we don't don't have to deal with growing them ourselves. And... um, we have multiple sources that are reliable, and I just feel very grateful that where our location is, that we have access to these these wonderful native plants. Mm. A lot, a lot of the other chapters, you know, might not be as fortunate as we are to have these things in the area. So, we're talking about native plant nurseries that are relatively close by. Relatively. <laughs> <laughs> If, yeah, if we spoke with the person that has to go pick up <laughs> <laughs> the plants, one of our members, God bless him, um, yeah, a few hours away. Okay. So I suppose part of the point of Wild Ones sponsoring native plant sale is you have a sense of what's going to really work here in this, in our particular environment, in this part of the state. I mean, in a sense, you can make wise choices for native plants that would grow well here. Is that part of it? Yeah, we, we like to offer um, all sorts of different native plants that grow well in different environments. Um, we offer woodland plants that grow you know, in wooded areas, of course. Um, prairie plants that grow more like in full sun. Um, we offer trees and shrubs. Uh, and also um, grasses, which are very important. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of get hung up on the flowers, the forbs, but grasses are really, really an important part of the landscape. Um, the plants are used by a lot of uh, wildlife. Um, so you were mentioning that the, the way the plant sale is going to work now is with an online store. So is it that you are purchasing, procuring all of these native plants and you have them someplace, but then somebody goes to this online store and says, I think I want that? Is that how it works? Yes, you- we, we reserve them. We reserve a certain quantity with the nursery, and then um, whatever sells out, then that's, that's, you know, that's all we can offer on the website. Um, in the past, we've had in-person plant sales. We've had them through... Um, all sorts of different areas in the community. Um, but unfortunately, when COVID hit, uh, we made the decision not to have an in-person plant sale. Just I didn't feel that it was a responsible thing to do mm-hmm. at the time. And so, um, I don't know, we kind of just cut it, cut it short with the people that had 
uh, placed pre-orders. We ended up, we did end up filling those orders, and then that was the end. So um, the next year, we decided that um, we would just try to do a pre-order only, and so um, we, you know, put it out there, the Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> and we actually that year we made um, not a bad profit. And so we decided the next year that we would um, continue that. We would, um, be, just because of the uncertainty with COVID, we decided that it would probably be you know, more responsible to just do a pre-order. And so then last year I debuted the um, website, which is rivernativeplantsale.org to all you listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that again? I'm sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> Can I say it one more time? Yeah. Yeah. rivernativeplantsale.org. And so we, um, so what we're doing um, this year, I actually opened it up um, for for a longer period because I already had the um, the uh, website developed, and so it wasn't as much work this year. And so we we're opening it up until April second, and um, you just it's just like a normal online store. You go in, you can put your plant in the cart and pay with your credit card, and then um, on June third, the first uh, Saturday in June. We have a plant sale pickup at, it's actually at my um, my home, um, I'm calling it now Dane Hill Farm. <laughs> That's my uh, family property. Um, we're gonna have the pickup there and you just come get your plants and go go plant them. There you go. <laughs> and so I'm just, I'm just hoping that everyone will go to the, pl- to the website and look at all the beautiful um, flowers and nature and wanna add them to the cart. Very good. And the thing is, if you have questions about the plants, you don't know what to plant, you don't know what kind of habitat you have and all that sort of thing, there's so many knowledgeable people in the chapter that can help you. Hmm. So, Joanne, uh, for instance, is this how you get your native plants? I mean, are you a customer for this? Oh. I mean, or Regina, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for, for uh, I wondered why you were all looking up. So, so Regina, Harders, um, is this how you get your native plants or do you have enough native plants already that they in a sense self-propagate and you aren't in need of buying more oh if you're a plant person you never have enough plants i don't think there's such a thing as enough (laughs) native plants there Um, just isn't yeah so i'll i'll even buy plants for friends and family as well but yeah i'm definitely a customer of the of our sale. So, so for instance, where is it again that you live? I mean, do you live in kind of a rural area or more, more in no, town? No, I'm right on Main Street in okay. Racine. Okay. Yeah. So describe in your, on your own property, the presence of native plants. I mean, where are they? How are you using native plants specifically exactly where you live? Um, so it's, it's been a work in progress and, um, there were a couple of years I, I couldn't work on it for health reasons, but the um, the front yard is basically a food forest. So ah. I have what um, a neat neat word. <laughs> I like yeah. The term. Well, I have um, what do I have on there? I have pawpaw trees and um, hazelnut shrubs, and there's a plum tree which is not native, but it's you know the idea was to make that, and then. There are lots of forbs, and you know, so that would be wildflowers of different kinds, and um, and grasses there as well, um, and the the very front, you know, the the parkway. Um, there is a monarch 
garden. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, the liatris and um, milkweed and whatever. And it's, uh, so that's that. Um, and then that part of the backyard is um, a small prairie. So I've just been doing a lot of experimenting. And I just, you know, whatever's growing in full sun, sandy soil gets plopped in there. And if it, if it does well, great. If it doesn't, well... Try something else. else. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So, Joanne, uh, you live more in a rural area, right? Um, I currently live in uh, Union Grove in a subdivision, which is interesting. Um, Subdivision landscaping is uh, it's very um, it all looks the same to me, honestly. Um, I think and that's part of no fault of the homeowners. I feel like it's the landscape industry. you know, they have all these certain plants that they push, and, you know, that's what you see. And so um, I wanted to do something different. Um, I was fortunate, like I said, we uh, we had a clean slate to, to start because we had a new house. And, you know, like I, I started a little mini prairie. I, um, I made sure that all the shrubs that I had, most of them were native, that they would have berries for, um, for birds and things. And... Um, I feel that uh, I wish that more people in my neighborhood would do what I'm doing. Absolutely. And uh, maybe talking about it is one way to mm-hmm. get get that ball rolling. Uh, Regina, tell us about what it, what it means to actually plant native plants. I mean, is planting native plants basically the same as planting anything else? And as far as cultivating them and nourishing them, do they require extra tender, loving care or... I, I can't, I don't think they really, uh, well, when you first plant them, they need more nurturing like anything does, right, until they get established. Um, once they're established, I think they can be a lot easier than other plants. Um, but you you do need to weed out things. You do need to keep your eyes open for invasives. Um, and there are some plants, uh, some native plants, too, that can be aggressive. So you, you know, I mean, I chop my dogwood down one-third every year and then use those red twigs in Christmas decorations. Ah. Um, but it's a way to, it's a way to keep it from, from spreading more than I would want it to, to spread. Um, but, yeah, it's. I would say that it's pretty easy. There's a lot of information out there from many organizations. Wild Ones has a lot of good information. Um, Nationals now, you know, posting um, landscape plans, you know, with with wild plants for different areas. Um, and so, shout out to Daniel Bell, you know, mm. who's a naturalist in Milwaukee. Um, who's who's done some plans? So yeah, we had her on the show a few months back, Danielle Bell. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I I think we're making it easier and easier for people. You know, you can you can basically follow a plan. You know, if you know what your sun exposure is and um. One of go ahead. No, I w- I would also say to people like. I know when I first got into plants, you know, if something died, I was like horrified. <laughs> what did I do wrong? You know, but things, things will die. You know, they, they, you know, and they, 
they might die in one side of your yard, but n- not in the other. And I would say just stick with it, you know, yeah. and there'll be other things that flourish, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you won't really know exactly why, but it kind of doesn't matter that the goal is biodiversity. Mm. That is the goal. Right. And so just try other things. Mm. I wanted to just ask a moment about the aesthetic aspect of this and the fact that uh, I think, I mean, first of all, the name of your group is Wild Ones, <laughs> and I think that's a great name. And, and it also, I think, for some people, brings up images of, of what this sometimes looks like, which is beautiful in its own really distinctive way. But, of course, pretty deeply imprinted, this is what you were talking about earlier, Joanne, is this other aesthetic ideal of something being looking more pristine. Um, is it possible to embrace the beauty of native plants and at the same time create something that is pristine and, pardon me using this term, normal looking <laughs> um, versus the the wild, uh, rhapsodic, uh, unencumbered, uh, you know, <laughs> beauty that often is part of the, wh- how this happens? I, I mean, that's not what everybody right. necessarily is seeking. That's right. Uh, Yes, well, I embrace the wild rhapsodic beauty of, <laughs> and you would see that if you looked in my front yard. But then, if you go beyond that, it's a little bit more controlled. So, mm. yes, you can have a much more controlled landscape, similar to the kind that we have been uh, accustomed and sort of brainwashed yeah, I was into gonna say, seeing indoctrinated. Indoctrinated, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, I mean, you you can pick and choose. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you want to have a cut flower garden, have your cut flower garden, but then, you know, keep that separate from your native landscape. Because, mm. you know, they don't go together. Aesthetically, in my opinion, they don't go together. Um, um, once you begin, one thing I wanted to say is that if you're going to do native plants, you have to prepare a space for them. So you have mm. to get rid of what's in there. Because again, the non-native and invasive species will outcompete. And particularly when you're talking about woodland plants, if you're going to seed in woodland plants, it can take years before you see anything because that's just the nature of woodland plants and their own growth patterns. Hmm. Um, And so there's lots of information out there to help you do that, but you do need to eradicate what's there. Um, <clears throat> but yes, you can have this controlled native landscape or you can have a free-for-all. And it isn't really a free-for-all when you go to, say, Chiwaki Prairie or uh, Richard Bong State Recreational um, uh, Forest. Um, you know, that's the, way wild, that's the way native plants are meant to grow. They have their own seasons. They have their own companions mm. in the plant world because they exist in a certain kind of habitat. Um, and so if you go and visit those areas and you go seasonally, um, you begin to understand how it should be looking and the diversity. And, I mean, my goodness, if you go out to, say, Bong, State Recreational Area, in the fall and you see the myriad asters that are blooming, it's just a sea of purple and pinks and blues. And it's just incredible. You, mm. You'll be overtaken, mm. um, and you'll want to have something like that in your yard, and you'll realize that isn't this scary, crazy thing <laughs> <laughs> that you're worried about. It's actually really perfect. Right. And again, I mean, and, and again, some people 
wholeheartedly embrace that, actually. I think there are a lot of us who drive past uh, somebody's front yard that looks like that with and look at it with envy. Exactly. I mean, it is it is it's just another kind of beauty, but absolutely undeniably beautiful. It's just maybe not what a given person is ready for or, or necessarily wants. So it's well, nice to know that this can be used in various ways. That's right. And for a long time, um, municipal ordinances worked against us. Hmm. Uh, and they still do in, in many instances. So you weren't allowed to have a, 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 you know, sort of a native plant in your yard that was taller than four feet. Well, my goodness, people grow giant um, allium, hmm. and that's a horticultural species, and nobody gets upset about it. Why can't we grow something that hmm. is tall and also helpful? You know, what's really thrilling to me is that over the last decade or so, people have begun talking about um, systems, you know, the systems theory of things. So for people like the three of us, Joanne, Regina, and myself, when we go past native landscapes, whatever kind of an environment it is, whatever kind of habitat, we love the plants. But what we also love is that it is supporting countless other mammals, insects, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and all of the the microbiotic community that lives in the soil. So there's this whole bigger world out there um, on top of what you're seeing above ground. Uh, and, and it means so much. It's life. Hmm. And when you, when you have a landscape full of non-native plants, that's just not happening in that landscape. Right. Not to the same extent. Not to the same extent. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I, can I just mention on top of that, I, I would like people to uh, instead of looking at the world through their eyes, look at them through the wildlife's eyes. Mm. They, you know, the tulips that are pleasing to your eyes, like they don't matter to the insects in our area. Like just to think about something other than yourself is yeah. basically how I feel that native landscaping is. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's an act of generosity. Yes, oh, exactly. So uh, for the plant sale, the native plant sale, first of all, is your online store open even as we speak? Yes, it's open right now. Good. How many, <laughs> how many native plant species in all are we talking about? Have you counted how um, many different things are on sale? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I added a lot more this year. Um, I think we, had, I think there's like 225 different things wow. for sale on there. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, and I this year um, we have two new things. We have gift certificates. Um, you can buy them, and there's no expiration. You can use them for any plant sale, hopefully, as long as we have it going. <laughs> so that's one of our new products. And also, I um, we put together some combinations that Danielle Bell, Danielle Bell, um, the landscaper uh, that we talked oh. about, she has um, some combinations that she likes that go well together, and so. We um, we put those combinations with a little bit of discount on for people if they wanted oh. to try them. So oh um, okay, so like people can click on such and such and and order this combination that she is suggesting. Mm-hmm. Yep, does. I have like Di- Danielle Shade Combo Number One or something like that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So as we're running out of time here, oh. Regina. What's one or two of your favorites that you would have people seek out on this native plant sale website? Um. I would say an oak tree of any kind first. Um, And any of the milkweed. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of partial to milkweed. Yeah, let's get those monarch butterfly numbers back up. How about you, uh, Joanne Sustacek? 
couple of personal I'm, favorites? Yeah, I'm, I really love service berries. That's like my favorite native shrub. So that's what I would buy. Hmm. And Nan? Oh, no, you're going to ask me. All of them. All of the plants are my favorite ones. Uh, but yes, oak trees, if, if you can only do one thing for whatever reason, plant a native oak tree because our native oaks support well over 534. Hmm. It, it's actually gone up. Native butterfly and moth species. And it doesn't hurt the trees at all. Hmm. So if that's the only thing you can do, get one of those oaks in there. They're Start fabulous. with a native oak. Yeah. Start with a native oak. Very good. So repeat the website once again for this <laughs> online store for the Wild Ones uh, plant sale. Okay, so native it's plant sale. Root org. And um, if anyone needs to get a hold of me for any questions, um, I have a email address dedicated for the sale, rootrivernatives at gmail.com. Rootrivernatives I'm, at gmail.com. If anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to answer them or find somebody that can have the answer for you. Fantastic. I think we've covered a lot of great ground here today in yes, more ways than one. So I'm really, really thankful uh, for both of you joining us today. Regina Harders, president of the Root River Chap- Area Chapter of Wild Ones, and Joanne Sustacek, coordinator of the Native uh, uh Native plant sale, which is open right now and open until early June. April 2nd. Oh, April 2nd. Oh, what was I thinking? April 2nd. The pickup is June 3rd. Ah, there we go. So you order now and then you pick up later. Very good. And you prep for the planting and then great things follow. Thank you to both of you for uh, joining us today on The Morning Show. It was great to have you here. And best wishes to you and all the good work that uh, Wild Ones does for us. Thank you. Nan, you have a couple of uh, announcements. I do. Um, One thing I want people to remember is that it is maple sugaring season pretty soon now in March. And all of our local and regional nature centers, pretty much all of them, will be having events uh, that are all about educating you about how a sugar bush is operated and how you get maple syrup and maple sugar. They will have pancake breakfasts and all kinds of things. Uh, you know, so you can go to River Bend, you can go to Hawthorne Hollow. There's so many different places that do this. Just hop on the interwebs and you'll find something to do for the whole family. I wanted to let people know about something that's going on um, at the Racine Dominican Eco Justice Center because it's really exciting. Um, so they're going to build a solar powered electric vehicle charging station. And it's also going to be an educational meeting space. Um, So at the moment, they've raised enough money to begin the build this summer. So what will happen is that their solar array will be attached to a pergola, and that will serve as the charging station for their own parking lot, as well as a teaching and meeting space for school groups. There will be three level one chargers and four level two chargers uh, mounted to posts in the parking lot. They expect to produce 25,750 kilowatt hours, which will be a 61% offset of the Ecojustice Center's uh, current electrical needs. Wow. I know. It's very exciting. And so, you know, uh, people do criticize electric vehicles because to charge them, you require fossil fuels. You have Mm. to, you get your electricity from a coal burning power plant. But with this, it's solar. You're charging whatever it is that you drive that's an electric vehicle with solar power. So that's really exciting. It's very cutting edge. And what's interesting, you know, is that you can see um, sort of the um, 
power plant not too far from the Eco Justice Center. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition. Fantastic. So if you're interested in supporting that effort, if you're interested in contributing, uh, go to the Eco Justice Center's website uh, and you can make donations right there. Uh, and then lastly, well, it's not really lastly, but all we have time for is at Hawthorne Hollow um, Arbor Arboretum and Nature Sanctuary, Sanctuary, they have a Beneath the Cosmos event um, every Monday evening through in February. So you sit outside in a zero-gravity chair, and you're guided along the night sky um, and looking at stars and planets and constellations and galaxies and all kinds of things. Um, uh, there is a, a notification on their website 24 hours in advance if the weather isn't going to be conducive, if there's going to be too much of a cloud cover. Um, just go to the website for Hawthorne Hollow. You can purchase tickets there. Um, and if you have any questions, give them a shout. It's really cool. Fantastic. Nan Calvert, thank you so much for today's program. It's great welcome. to have you here. Thank you.